0: You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit ShorebreakChurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at ShorebreakChurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. We're glad that you're here. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And why don't you turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to... Uh, 1 John, we're going to be in chapter 2 today, and as you make your way to 1 John, um, we're so thankful that you are with us today. If you're new or if this is your first time here at Shorebreak, we want you to know Shorebreak, we are a church that is all about Jesus. All that we do is to seek uh, His face, we it's our heart's desire to glorify the name of Jesus, our vision Uh, is just that, amplify Jesus, make much of his name. And so you might have questions about Jesus, have questions about who we are as a church and really what God is doing in this place. And I think the first and foremost thing we would want you to know is uh, the person and the work that Jesus has done uh, to satisfy the wrath of God and also a work that he's done on your behalf and on my behalf. And so we're so thankful to have you here We've been asked in the past, why don't you guys do altar calls? And why don't you guys invite people to come forward? And really the simple answer of that is because when when I look in the scriptures, what I see when I study through the Bible is a call to repentance that as the gospel is declared, people believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the response to that, the public outworking of that inward uh, regeneration is baptism. In fact, whenever Peter or other disciples preach in this scripture, they would say, believe and be baptized. And so uh, if you are a Christian and you have yet to have been baptized, or if you've recently become a Christian here within the church and you have not publicly stated, I am Jesus's, I have identified with Jesus in in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to biblically obey the scripture's command, that is to believe and be baptized. And so, uh, make sure you mark it on your calendars. Keep your Sunday evening free, uh, October 25th at 4 p.m. We will all be headed to uh, Kahalu Beach Park there. We're going to be doing a baptism like we've done before, and it is going to be so special. So, on your way out at the end of this worship gathering, if you have not been baptized, visit the connect table, sign a connect card, and we'll get you dialed in. With Someone will like to talk to you, hear your testimony, hear what Jesus is doing in your life, get to know you, and then we'll uh, baptize you October 25th at Kahalu. It's going to be epic. Sun's going to be setting. The church will be there. Uh, you'll be there, right? Most of you, anyways, uh, you're invited even if you're not getting baptized because there, it is so special to be there to witness uh, others getting baptized. And uh, like we do every time we kind of break the the rules of the Hawaiian, you know the potluck here in Hawaii, um, Don't need to bring anything. Just bring some money. We're gonna have food provided for you. All of the proceeds that are made there at the barbecue will actually go to direct a ministry uh, here that's, that's local and also international. And that is an or, uh, really an orphan adoption ministry known as Chosen and Dearly Loved. If you don't know about Chosen and Dearly Loved, they specialize, they also they help with local adoption, but their specialty is in international adoption with children who have special needs. And so obviously, um, they have a great cause. They're actually our neighbors, they're right across the parking lot over here, they fund the coffee lounge, they're in here all the time, they're great people, make sure you uh, sometimes, if you're ever in the area, go say hi to them over there. Um, but all the proceeds from that will go to that cause, and so we're Uh, looking forward to that. So you're invited. We'll see you here, there, over there, uh, October 25th at four o'clock. And so um, we're in John chapter two. We've been making our way at a slightly slow but steady pace through this book, and we're so thankful. If you weren't here last week, that at the time John is writing this, there's been an exodus within the church. Uh, People that they were worshiping with, singing songs with, praying with, in community with, working with, they thought these people of Jesus, now these people are gone. And they're wondering about their own safety. They're wondering about their own eternal security. Like, man, all these people have just abandoned, it would so seem, Jesus. And now they're living however they want. And so they were concerned, They were kind of looking within themselves, am I secure in Jesus? I I thought the life that Jesus gave us was in fact eternal. I didn't think it was temporary. I didn't know I could lose what he graciously gave to me. And they had these questions at the time John is writing. And so John, to answer their concern about eternal security, he says, "Hey, hey, if you want to know if you're eternally secure, you need to know God. And the way that you know God, the word that he says there about know is that word gnosko, which is personal, intimate, relational. That that those who say, I am not sure about my eternal security, I don't know if I'm in Jesus, what if I'm a fake, or what if I'm not really sure? What if I don't bear the watermarks of genuine Christianity? But John would go on to say, as we studied last week, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands and so that's the cadence that's the order of the scriptures that it's not an obedience that leads to a knowledge of but it's a knowledge of God that leads to a life of obedience see see the order there because to flip that is religion but Christianity says no 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 because we know God personally intimately, we love him his grace toward me oh God you're so incredible how can I obey you And and that's really what we have here. John is saying knowledge, out of knowledge, obedience flows, because obedience doesn't give us eternal security. We don't obey, oh, well, I guess if I need to know I'm in him, I need to obey his commands in order to be eternally secure. No, what he's saying is you can look to see if you are eternally secure if you obey his commandments. We don't obey so we can know God. We obey because we know him, because we have a relationship with Jesus. And we only obey because we know we are secure in Jesus. And so John says, whoever says, I know God, I have a relationship with God, but, but continues to have complete disregard for the commandments, is that consistent? Like, does that flow? <laughs> yeah, I love God. I, you know, I mean, God, we're like this. Yo, we're, you know, he's my homeboy. Jesus is, right? Like, I'm close to him, and um, but I don't really care about his commands. John's like, no. Because if you know God, you will obey his commands. Now, I don't know about, how to know how your week, the last seven days have gone for you? Have you perfectly obeyed his commands? So, is John saying, I require holy perfection on your end? No, 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 he if that were the case, he wouldn't have to tell us to confess our sins. He wouldn't say, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. We need help. So this idea is not that you have to be perfectly obedient in obeying all of his commands, but you've got to ask yourself, I have to ask myself, do I even have a desire for his commands, for his truth? And so, if it's our heart's desire to move towards God in obedience and through His commands, then, then then I would say that that is a what John would say rather that is a watermark of genuine faith in Jesus. And so, First John, chapter two, beginning in verse seven. Let's all stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord, <coughs> beloved. I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother... Abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for his stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Heavenly Father, we believe this to be your word. We believe your word to be true. We believe your word to be alive. And we ask that your word would do the work of washing us clean. God, that you say that those who are in darkness are blind. They cannot see. They do not know how to worship you. They do not know how to glorify you. They do not desire to glorify you. But God, when your light shines in our life, you open up the eyes of our heart. And so would you do that through the power of the spirit and through the scriptures this morning? We need your help to understand what you have written to us. Help us understand, give us insight into your commands, oh God. Heavenly Father, with all of our imperfections, we come to you. To this table, we bring our sin. We boldly approach your throne this morning, asking that you would speak to us that this time that we have taken on our Sunday to be in church would not be a waste of time, but that you would be glorified, that we would be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Before we get ahead of John here, he wants to remind you and me of something. John is not one to kind of hold back the punches. I mean, he, I mean, he brings it, right? I mean, this first John is a pretty invasive book. I mean, inv- it, inv- it invades uh, our motivations for obedience like we looked at last week. It, it, it looks at... Um, the way that we live our life in light of the gospel and that we would test that. And, and, and it's easy to get caught in the cloud of um, hearing these heavy truths, which they are. I mean, these truths that we hear in First John are heavy they cause us to be introspective for us to look within our own soul to check to see if we are in fact in Jesus or not and it's easy to get caught up in these hard black and white truths that he gives us and completely forget that as he's giving these hard truths he loves us and so he pauses for a moment and he begins verse 7 with beloved beloved See, it's easy to hear truths and feel them pierce our inner being and afflict our soul and our sin and our idols and feel as though uh, they don't really love me. Hard truths often feel unloving, but John wants us to know, I'm giving you these hard truths because you are beloved. Beloved. It's because he loves us, he's willing to say these hard and difficult things to us to force us to feel uncomfortable at times, for us to be introspective, for us to examine our life, to see if we in fact bear the watermarks of gospel transformation. Likewise, it's because I love you, it's because we love you. Sunday after Sunday, we are willing to dish out these truths not flippantly like i can't wait to offend you on sunday like that's not in any way my heart's desire it's because we love you we're willing to talk about the things that aren't always comfortable It reminds me of proverbs 27 6 which says faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy See, hard truths, though they may come across unloving, and it can feel that way. In fact, we have received this criticism as a church, that, man, you guys are about the truth, and, you know, you bring these hard truths, and it feels as though it's unloving. We've received that criticism, and I don't turn a blind eye to that criticism, but, but I don't want to ever get too far ahead of, with the truth, to say, beloved, it's because we love you. We're willing to say things that the scripture does not hold back on. If the scripture says it, we're we're gonna say it. We're gonna go there. We're gonna talk about it, Offense, offensive or or not. And. John wants us to avoid reading between the lines and he says, hey Christian, before I'm about to drop some of these truths, some of these commands, a new command, but an old command before, I'm about to get personal with you and talk about these things. Let me remind you, you're beloved. You're loved. You're loved. You're loved. We love you. With the heart of the Apostle John, I can say on behalf of the pastoral team, we, we love you. Not like I'm speaking for John. Don't get that mixed up in any way. I'm just saying I can, I can identify with his love for those within the church. And, and we can too. He says, beloved, verse seven, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment. Like what? John, what are you talking about here? That I am writing to you, which is true and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what he's doing here is he's building up anticipation. He hasn't even gotten to the commandment yet, and we're going to spend a lot of time in this service talking about this anticipation of what he's saying here. He's like, just get to the commandment, John. He's like, no, no, let me, let me build it up a little bit. It's old, but it's new. We're going to unpack that, but we need to know the command before we unpack this buildup here. What's the command? Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So here John is saying, here's a command. It's old and it's new. And you're like, can you just make up your mind, my friend, please? Like, can you make a decision? Is it, is it old or is it new? Now, what he isn't doing here is he isn't claiming he made it up. No plagiarism charges here for John. He's saying... I'm not giving you a new commandment. If anyone ever on opening the Bible or not opening the Bible says, I'm going to give you something you've never heard before, run out the door, okay? There is no new command. There is nothing new under the sun. God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, and that's through his word. Everything you need to know, I need to know about God, about my life, about this world, about sin, about my need for redemption and glorifying him is the scriptures are enough for that. So we don't have, he's not saying, I'm not making this thing up. It's not something brand new. It has its origin and history. It's an old command. How old, vintage old, like Old Testament Leviticus chapter 19 old. There's some debate about exactly what he's referring to, but I think the root, because he could be referring to, I think it's John chapter 10 or John 13, where uh, Jesus is talking about loving one another. But even that command has its roots in Leviticus 19, which says this in verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of, Of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor. There it is. That's what we have really here, even in verse 10. So we're gonna pack this more in a little bit, but this is God's revealed will for how we should treat one another. Okay, file that in the back of your mind. We're gonna come back to that. So yes, it's old. It's Leviticus 19 old, but it's also new. Now, I don't know about you, but I become very hesitant when something old becomes new. You know, there's like there's these pop songs that are coming out that are taking really good classic songs and just messing them up. Maybe you don't feel that way, but it's like, why did you just take that great song and put some weird wind-up beat to it, some dubstep, maybe a little auto-tune, like, really? You're going to do that to that song? You just defiled that song. In fact, recently we were, um, with our family, we sat down to watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the new one, and it had been a while since we watched it, and and that's a a new movie taken from an old plotline story, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? Um, let me just spare you from watching the new one. It's terrible, okay? Like, I love Tim Burton. I think Tim Burton is a fantastic director, and he's got, like, a weird bent and his, like, artistic style that's really dark and moody, which fits certain movies. But why would you put that in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Like, why would you take something like so happy is a, a bright, cheery scene of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the old Willy Wonka was so friendly and so polite. And then like the new character, Johnny Depp, is like a creeper, right? <laughs> like my kid literally had nightmares from the movie. Willy Wonka was weird. Like it was just strange. And, and so when something old becomes something new, we can often become very hesitant because that could mean defiling its original purity. It, it could almost mean Taking what was once good and making it wicked or sinful, you could almost say. And with this command, it was upgraded. It was not downgraded. Because John says at the same time in verse 8, it's a new command. And so what John is writing to us, what was old was good. I'm not saying what was old was bad. You know when you watch an old movie, like you look at the effects And you're like, wow, that was really bad. CGI has come a long way, you know, and it was bad when it was old. It's gotten better with some things that's true. It was good when it was old, and it's excellent and majestic now because it's new. Why? Because Jesus is the full embodiment of the law. Now I can't make a statement like that though without showing in the scriptures in context how can we make such a claim? And I'm going to get that claim. I want you to follow and track with me here from verse eight. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. How is it in a new commandment? In which way? Which is true in him and in you. So if you're allowed to, mark your Bibles, underline in him and then underline in you or highlight that take notes on that what john is saying here is that jesus took the law and redefined it which is true in him what makes this command great and not just good is that jesus in is the full embodiment of that and, and let me explain to you just briefly for a moment through the life of Jesus, of how that is true. What makes this commandment new is that it's in him, and, and how is that true compared to Leviticus 19, though its roots are very old. See, during Jesus' lifetime, there were some Pharisees, not all Pharisees, but there was a sect of Pharisees that taught in synagogues. They were extremely conservative, and they taught to the, the Israelites, to the Jewish people, that you are to hate anything gentile like you you don't do business with a gentile the moment you step foot in the door of a gentile's house you're considered unclean they were even taught to hate gentiles some Pharisees then even would describe that that gentiles god only created gentiles for the for kindling in hell i mean intense Things. That's not all Pharisees, but a portion of these Pharisees declared those things, and yet here is Jesus. taking the law. Now the Pharisees took Leviticus 19 and they said, so if we're going to love our brother, this means we must hate those who are not our brother, which are those who are not of Israel, those who are not of us. And so they would absolutely hate them. And so they took what was good, thinking that it was righteous and they ended up polluting God's law. And now here comes along Jesus taking something good and makes it excellent. In what way? Not the way the Pharisees saw it. Not only did Jesus not hang, just hang out with sinful Gentiles. He went into their homes. He ate with them. He talked story with them. He did a life with them. He was fr- a friend of sinners. And the Pharisees, you can imagine, lost their minds. They thought he was being sinful. He was claiming to love God and claiming to love his neighbor all while polluting it from, from their perspective. But, but Jesus, not so, right? Right? In fact, these same Pharisees didn't like the whole new level Jesus was taking to this love your neighbor thing, making this commandment new, bringing the commandment into a new level, into a new light because of his person and his work. And when the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. So like the Sadducees and Pharisees, they're all trying to get together, trip up Jesus. And one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, I mean, lawyers are good at at investigating, finding the truth, um, um, making sense of law, and and, and depending on what they do in their practice, they can try to trip people up. And so this lawyer here uh, is also a Pharisee, is going to Jesus, trying to trip him up, and asked him a question to test him. Not because he was sincere, they wanted to test Jesus and said, "Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Like, what is the best command?" And he said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest command. And the second is like the, the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself." So while they're claiming for him to be ungodly because he is loving sinners and hanging out with sinners, Jesus is like, I'm loving my neighbor as myself. My, I mean, here are the, the two greatest commands, and he says, on these, the commandments, on these two commands depends the entire law and the prophets. So everything that was set up to this point comes down to either loving God and loving your neighbor. Redefining the law. Taking what was old and being a living example and a full embodiment of the law. So here Jesus comes, not abolishing the law, but Jesus as God, perfectly fulfilling the law. As he did, he took what was old to a new level, which is why John says, which is true in him, that's the in him, and is now in you. This truth is now in you. Now, well, we'll get there. We're trying to follow John's process here. But John is saying he is in full embodiment of the law. And when you've seen what Jesus Christ has done for you, if you follow Jesus, you see what he has accomplished on the cross, this new command become, is alive and it is working in us. So this new command, let's unpack it a little. Look at Let's look at verse 8, the second half of it. Which is true in him and in you, here it is, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother, here it is, the unpacking of that command again, abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling so I love what John does here he he parallels these two different things here that love and light are paralleled alongside with hatred and darkness love and light compared to hatred and darkness and what It's interesting what John says here is that the darkness has not fully passed away. It's not completely gone. It is passing away, which immediately shows you and me this, that being a Christian does not mean perfection. Being a Christian does not mean perfection, but it does mean progress that when you first came into a relationship with Jesus, there was maybe still some, resi- quite a bit of residual darkness in your heart, but as you have continued to walk in the, the light, his light is shining in your life, and the darkness is becoming less and less uh, present. It's being pushed out by the presence of Jesus and his light, and the evidence that is what? Love, according to John here. What John says is you can know that l- Light has invaded your life by the love that you have for God's people. You can know that light has invaded your life by the affection and the love that you have for the people of God. Our life should be continuously becoming brighter and brighter for the glory of Jesus. And listen, here's the cadence now of understanding this in 1 John. It's by us being in Jesus, by us believing in Jesus, and the result of that is us behaving like Jesus. If our identity is in Jesus and we believe in this Jesus who is light, should not our behavior represent the one that we say we follow? Absolutely. Not perfectly but there should be evidence of that. So if we're looking for a watermark in our life that we are authentically in Christ, when we know Jesus, we obey like Jesus, and we love like Jesus loves. Because this new command is in him and is in you. Some of you might be thinking, all right, all right, okay, I think I'm getting it. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and this fulfillment of the law and this new command is in him, and it's in me now, but what does that mean? And honestly, I've been meditating on this throughout the last couple days, and and I think this is what this means in light of what John is, is saying when it comes to the commands and obedience, and in Jesus, you are able to live an obedient life you never thought was possible. If this new command is in Jesus and He is the fulfillment of that, and that is now in me, I am able to live a life of obedience that was never otherwise possible apart from the blood and the grace of Jesus. You could almost say, set free to obey. And I've just been meditating on this, and, and when I get stuck in my sin, and I get stuck in my stupid ways, and I have indifferent feelings towards his commands, when I hear these truths, and what John is saying, man, this command is just not written on stone, but it is written on our flesh, on our hearts, and branded in our minds, that takes it to a whole new level. Of course it's a new command. That which was once etched in stone is now seared upon my heart and your heart. It's in him and it's in you. And because it's in you and Jesus is the fulfillment of that, you are able to live a life of obedience you were never otherwise able to live. And in context now, let's let's bring it back down now in context in context, this means you are able and capable of loving people in a completely different way because you are no longer in darkness. You were once in darkness and you were part of the kingdom of darkness. And when you were in the kingdom of darkness, your king was the king of darkness himself, the enemy, Satan, Satan. But now you've been transferred to the kingdom of light if you are in Christ and you are part of the new kingdom and it is the kingdom of his light. And when you enter into the kingdom of light, you have a new king and your new king is Jesus. And it's the difference of walking in the darkness and walking is in the light. It's, it's that we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, which means in light of what we're saying in obedience, if In Jesus, you can forgive horrible sins that have been committed against you. Some of you have had atrocious, disgusting, horrible sins that you never want to revisit in your mind that have been committed against you. But because his command is in you, you are able to even love those who have sinned against you. You, in Jesus, you are able to forgive horrible sins committed against you. In Jesus, you're able to let go of bitterness that you were never able to let go of before. Like some of us hold animosity, anger, bitterness towards things that were caused against us, but listen, we're called to love, not hate. We're gonna get there. The result of hating is stumbling in the darkness. That's not what God would have for us. In Jesus, you can love your brother even when it's hard. In Jesus, to take it to the next level, which Jesus did, you can love your enemy. All because of Jesus and all because his command dwells in you. Because you I just want to pause for a moment and, and back up. When it comes to the commands of God, obeying God's commands are more than just letters on a page. They're letters on a page, no doubt. It's truth revealed from God to you. That's what a command is command is God lifting up the curtain of how he designed creation so that you can look at the way he designed creation and and align ourselves with the way that he created the universe. That is really what a command is. Obeying God's commands is not just, it's more than letters on a page, it's truth from God. And when we live according to the plans of God, listen, when you obey God's commands, you are actually lining yourself up with the way God created and designed the universe. Not just some rules. You're actually aligning yourself with the way God designed the universe and how this creation works and From my own experience, when I don't love my wife as I should, as the scriptures tell me, when I don't care for my neighbor, when I'm driven by my own selfish motives, when I hate my brother, my sin, my disobedience is not just against words that are written in a book, but I'm rebelling against God and his creative design for how he made the world. I hope I'm drawing you in to understand this. When it comes to the commands of God in context, including us loving one another or not hating one another, listen, God is not against you. Some of us want to hold on to the hatred and the bitterness that we have towards that someone we just want to hold it on because it makes us, in one way or another, feel good. And so when God comes alongside, he says, you can't hate your brother anymore. You need to love your brother. It almost feels as though God is out to get, to get us. But in reality, what he's doing is He is lifting the curtain, showing you you were created to be that way. You, if you live that way, you're going against the way I have designed the universe. He is not against you, he is for you. And the evidence of that is by God giving you his commands. Because commands are god Revealing the way He has designed the universe, and the way He has designed the universe is uh, given to us in part by us understanding His commands, because they're laws. There's even you know in government there's this thing they consider when they pass natural law. There's there's certain laws that are given, and so when we align ourselves with God given ordinances, we enter into blessings of obedience. And part of what God has revealed to us here, I want you to see this, is that love is light which helps us see clearly. So so God lifting up the curtain, saying, Here's my command. This is how I want you to live. And as he lifts up the curtain, he says, When you love your brother, that is light that helps you see clearly. I'm pulling this from verse 10. Whoever loves his brother, he abides in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Of course, you're not going to stumble when you're loving your brother? Because you're living in a light. When you're living in the darkness because you're hating your brother, it's like when you wake up in the morning, right? You're, you're in the middle of the night. You hear some noise and you want to get up and you're stumbling and you're aimless and you're, you don't know where you're going and it's just the mad You're knocking things over and just making a mess of everything. That is what verse 11 says. Look at verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness. Complete opposite of Verse 10. And walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Of course not. Why? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So love is opening and revealing. Hatred is concealing and blinding. John is still waging war against this idea that even though some may say they know God, if they are, they... If they say they know God, but they hate their brother, then they don't know God because they're still in darkness. That's what John is saying. And those who live in the dark are aimless, but those who live in the light have purpose, and their purpose is to love God and love one another. God commands us to love our brother as we walk and dwell in his light. And if we disobey, if we hate our brother instead of, Love, instead of loving and we live in darkness guys this is God's revealed will to us I, I think to give us a picture of, of how this is gracious you guys know it's gracious that God would even reveal his will to us like uh, I don't know how long ago it was I think it was a, I don't know maybe a month or two ago my wife was pulling out dinner from the oven and the kids were really hungry I might have been hungry too but my kids were really hungry right and so they're like, oh, you know, Mom, we're really hungry. We just want to... And so they're all, like, they invade the kitchen when Mom's in there, and she pulls out this pan that's really hot and puts it up and says, hey, guys, don't reach for the food. I know you're hungry, but if you reach for the food, you're probably going to get burned when you touch it, right? And so, sure enough, what ends up happening is the kids are thinking, well, Mom's trying to keep me from having a good time, right? naturally so she doesn't want me to eat to enjoy food because mom's out to get me and that command i don't like and so sure enough one of our kids guess what he did reach for a french fry put his arm on the pan and burned his arm and i said told you so no i'm just kidding i didn't i she didn't tell him that at all When my wife gave the command, my kids interpreted that as, well, maybe she's out to get me, maybe she's not for me. But when God gives a command, it's the same thing God's saying. Don't reach for that, don't go for that. This is my revealed plan for you because if you disobey my command, it's the, it, you're only going to self-inflict and burn yourself. It's going to hurt you. When I say that you should have no other gods before me and love me, it's because all other gods will not satisfy and those gods will fail you. It's only righteous and just that God would give us his commands, which goes against this notion why even in modern Christianity, somehow, why has the law become a bad word in Christianity? David said about the law, when he meditates on the law, it's like honey on his lips. That's weird. I don't read the Ten Commandments. I'm like, honey. Like, I just don't do that. Do you do that? That was weird. I'm sorry. I'll never do that again. Man, he savored the law, though, didn't he? He just, when, David, when it came to the law, it's like, this is, this is wonderful. Of, of, of course it is. Because even though we fall short of the law, we don't obey his commands in Jesus. He perfectly is the full embodiment of the law. And when his command in Jesus, we are in the light, is given to us, imputed to us his righteousness, we get to enjoy the obedience Jesus has already lived for us on our behalf. And the result of that is walking in the light and, in context, loving your brother. When we disobey, we self-inflict, but when we obey, we, are, we again are lining ourselves up, placing ourselves under the blessing. Even when a non-believer follows some of the natural law that God has created in the world, they're not going to probably be in prison that much, right? Right? I mean, it's just a a matter of fact. It's the way God has created it, and so. I just want to say this with some closing thoughts here. May we be a people who love one another and not hate. we, We have our differences. We have things that can rub each other the wrong way. But that doesn't mean we need to hold grudges. That doesn't mean we need to hold other things against people. We don't even have to hate our enemies, but we can, because of Jesus, forgive quickly, love our enemies, and look beyond our differences because love covers a multitude of sins. We should love because we follow a Savior who perfectly loved us. When we experience the undeserved love of God, we can love people in our life even when they don't deserve our love. And as we pray, prepare our hearts for this time that we're going to have in communion in just a few moments. I want us to close with words from Jesus from John chapter 15. As we meditate on, we could have gotten more into how we're to love one another, but that's also coming in future messages throughout our study in John. But this is what Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen. Let our hearts meditate, saturate on this truth as we continue in worship through song and communion in just a moment. It's actually beginning in verse twelve. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You were my friends. You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus we have an advocate. We have a helper. We have someone who took our place, who lived a perfectly obedient life, even to the point of loving perfectly his brothers and sisters. And, And so, Lord, for us, While our love may not be perfect, we look to you who are perfect, who is perfect, who dwells in perfection and holiness and justice. And as you dwell in your glory, we gaze upon the love that you have for us, that you would even consider us friends. Greater love no one can have but this. That Jesus Christ, you lay down your life, sacrificed yourself for us so that we would become your own. May we repent of our sin, repent of our disobedience, lean into all that you would have for us, and understand that your commands are for our joy and not to ruin our fun. And as we're taking this time to pray, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you do not know Jesus, if you have not had a relationship with Jesus, respond to the work of the Holy Spirit illuminating your soul, the beautiful things of God. Ask Him to give you a desire to obey, not so you can know Him, but because you've been transferred from darkness into light. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sin. Admit that you have disobeyed him because you thought you knew it was better for your life than him. And that's the story of my life. Lord Jesus, thank you. that you love us so greatly. And because of your great love for us, may we greatly love one another so that this world would know that we are your disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com and if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.